Hi everyone, I'm Allie Stone and this is Discovering Hospitality. Now for most of my life, I've worked in the hospitality industry and even more specifically in restaurants. And in the past 15 years of my life, I've been a partner with the Original Joe's Franchise Group here in good old Edmonton, Alberta. And this has been such an incredible experience for me. Honestly, it's been a lifetime worth of learning and living that could have never been taught by any educational institution. And truthfully, it's provided me with the opportunities that I continue to deepen in my career as, as a leader and a coach and an entrepreneur. So if you're listening in and you're in the industry, you know that we have an incredible culture of people, stories, and experiences that don't often get shared with the world. And it's my hope that through this podcast, we can peel back some of the veil of our industry. We can peel back some of the layers of that onion, so to speak, so that the people we love that aren't necessarily a part of this industry can start to learn and see why we all love it so much. Now, this industry is all about people. It's about connection and it's about love. And if you don't love the word love, that's totally okay. Maybe interject the word care, but it truly is about connecting. Now, we have a saying in our organization, and it's that People make the world beautiful. And I've been so lucky to be a part of that for so many years. And now I have this incredible opportunity to share some of the amazing stories of our industry with the world, with all of you, our listeners. It's my hope that these stories will warm your heart. Uh, They might make you laugh. And they might even be stories that make you cringe or think a little or change the way you see things. It's my mission to help all of you see how incredible hospitality people are and how committed they are to taking care of each other and other people. So without any further delay, let's dive into this week's podcast. Okay, everybody, welcome back to another week of Discovering Hospitality. I'm super excited to be here uh, with my friend, Mike Saunders. Hi, Mike. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. I'm excited to do this podcast. We kind of like, we talked about it and then we put it off because you had so many people on your team that wanted to be on the podcast. And so now we're finally getting to have this conversation. So I'm super, I'm super stoked about it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. Everyone on the team was so excited to do it. I'm like, yeah, go ahead. You can go first. And then it was like, it unravels and a year later, I still haven't gone on. So <laughs> I know, that's what I, I'm like, man, we're like well over 50 episodes, maybe 60. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. You save like the best for last, right? right on. Um, okay. So I thought I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about your history coming up to Original Joe. So obviously you're the general manager at Original Joe's over in Hollick Kenyon right now. And you've been doing that, I don't know, a year and a half, let's say at this point. Yeah. Um, but you kind of have like your, your roots weren't in hospitality. So I want to talk a little bit about like your earlier life and what kind of like brought you here. Cause I've always been really interested in it and I don't know if we spent a lot of time talking about it. So I thought it'd be a really, at least fun place for me to go today. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I'll take you down that journey. So 
Um, why don't you just start by kind of like introducing yourself a little bit, talking about, you know, where you're at right now, what got you here, just kind of general basics for listeners, and then we'll dive in a little deeper. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, like you said, I'm the, the GM at Holic Canyon right now. Um, been there for a year and a half. I've been at Holic for eight years on and off. So, um, I actually started just before my last year of university. I was, uh, looking to buy a vehicle and I was not going to make enough money at the job I had that summer. So I'm like, well, I better find something else. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's how it starts for all of us. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. You just, you just need something and then you get into it. And I remember the first couple shifts, I was like, so overwhelmed. I had no idea what was going on. And I thought for sure, like, I'm going to last like two weeks and I'm going to get canned for sure. But I stuck it out. It was hard, but yeah. Um, I actually, so the the only job I had until I worked at Holic, uh, I started here when I was 22. Um, I worked at a hockey school, a goalie school um, for, I still work for them now actually, but I started when I was 14. Um, and that's all I did. Like I'd work part-time for them in the winter time while I was in school. And then I'd work full-time for summer camps in the summer. Um, and it was really good. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I had a ton of fun working with like, kids I didn't really like the young kids that much but I got to work a lot with like 14 to 18 year old kids um that were you know every level of hockey from beginner goalies right up to like super elite guys there's a few guys I coached that ended up playing like major junior and minor pro and stuff like that so um yeah it kind of gave me like I didn't think about it that way at the time but it definitely gave me the roots of like hospitality in like a different way there's a lot of coaching obviously that goes into the job I have now but there's a lot of like interacting with kids and parents and like taking care of them in in certain ways right um you know parents want the best for their kids and they paid a lot of money for our camp so making sure that they got like not just a good on ice product but like personable service all the time and that was something that the boss there um stressed all the time we did this thing where when the kids would show up to camp at like 7 a.m all the instructors were already there and the kid before the rule was is by the time they opened their trunk an instructor was supposed to be there to carry their bag in for them Mm. and he did that every single day so the kids never care like they're like nine-year-old kids trying to haul like 50 pounds of goalie equipment in so having like you know uh, their their favorite instructor like run out to their car and help them in and like talk to them on the way in and ask them how they're doing and stuff like the parents loved it. The kids loved it. And honestly, like I love doing that because I created so many connections. Even now, it's really hard for me to go to a bar now without meeting a kid that I coached when they're like 10 years old and they all remember me. I even hired a kid I used to coach uh, two months ago. That's he had, so I cool. made no idea at work here. I'm like, this is great because I know he's a hard worker. I coached him for four years and there's no way I was going to let him be lazy when I coached him. So He's not going to be lazy at Joe's either. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's really cool so it that's really interesting because it was kind of like um I don't maybe the word I want to use is like imprinting this like service based mentality in you and it's cool the way you're talking about how that experience like it shaped that for you and I actually think that I haven't talked about this on the podcast but I've talked about this with like people when I trained them back in Terwilliger back in the day that that's actually the magical key <laughs> when you can go out and you can actually like go above and beyond and create some type of experience for somebody. It breaks down the barrier 
it breaks yeah. down the wall and then you have like a relationship with them. Like how hard is it to walk up to a table with nothing, no reason other than to try to create a relationship. But if you put a, like your best foot forward or your hand out, or you say, Hey, let me help you with this. There's always a conversation to be had, right? Like, yeah, for sure. I think that's so cool. So how do you become a goalie coach? <laughs> how does this become a thing for you? I was like, I was just a goalie. So when I was like eight or nine, I think I did their first camp. And actually my dad and I still talk about it now, like how cool it was going to the first camp and seeing all these goalies and seeing like how well ran the camps were like, cause it, it, again, like you don't realize it until you go into like something that's maybe more traditionally service related, but it was so hospitality and service based. Like that was what they were going for. And that's what set them aside, uh, like set them apart. Um, mm-hmm was they weren't just like teaching the kid how to be a goalie. They were trying to create this experience where like you go to goalie camp and like, you know, so anyway, so I was a student there for I think five or six years. And then um, usually they, they ask you to like start doing some volunteering and helping when you're around 13 or 14. And uh, I said, no, the first couple of years, cause I wanted to golf all summer. Um, but eventually like I focused more on hockey and it was great. Cause you essentially like you got paid to go on the ice and do like skating drills and like, work with kids it was awesome and then you get a little older and you know like I think I was 17 when I was like uh one of the managers there as one of the head instructors so I kept working with them and that's where you do more coaching but at that point my 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 NHL dreams had been dashed so it was great it was good to coach and you know uh, I learned the service part already probably and by then it was learning a lot more on like how to coach and also how to like coach the 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 workers too like the team right so which is great and I don't know that's why I like my job now because that's like most of what I do it's awesome totally yeah you just gotta you just gotta help people be better all the time which is super fun I asked you about this before the podcast but I kind of want to bring it up again on here um because I mean I don't know enough about it probably just being a female and I think other listeners might not but I asked you like I understand I think what I said to you is I understand there's a difference between like somebody who plays hockey and somebody who's a goalie and you have a different experience (laughs) of what that is. Can can you tell me what that was like for you? Like being a goalie versus being like a, like an actual player on the ice. Well, the, the biggest difference I always found was it was you, even though you're on a team, you were like, you were just viewed as different and you were different. I, a big part for me was you were different because you didn't have the same interactions as you did with everybody else. I would either be in the net all game and really not like have that social aspect to a hockey game. Even now, like I play men's league with guys. I, I know fairly well, but I'm in the net all game. And then I see them before the game and after the game. And while meanwhile, they're like, you know, goofing around and telling stories on the bench so I'll finish a game and get in the dressing room and there's some joke that someone told and I'm not privy to the joke right Right. you just kind of get used to like being set aside but then you're so integral to the game yeah I don't know like when I my dad was a goalie a little bit and he tells stories about like I don't know the worst skater was always the goalie or the worst kid was always the goalie but that was never really my experience like the coaches stressed it and the players were always so respectful. Like this is the, this is the most important guy on the team or the guy that like will make or break our success. So um, it was like a really interesting dynamic where like some days you felt like you weren't part of the group, but then some days you felt like you were the most important guy in the group. Right. And yeah. Having to deal with that, like 
mentally and emotionally some days was just really challenging. And then other days you're the backup and you don't play and you just sit on the bench and you feel like the most useless person on the team. But then you have to like still like contribute to the team in, you know, some kind of mental or psychological way, like, uh, you know, some kind of moral support. So it's just, it's just such a unique, I don't know, it's a unique experience for me. Yeah. It's a really unique role. And like, you know, like I, I, well, my husband loves hockey. Right. And so he, he would always just say that goalies are different, right? They're just different oh, yeah. people. And I think, I think from what you've said to me in the couple conversations we've had about it, what I'm taking for it is you're actually more comfortable with being alone and like popping in and out, right. And understanding that that's how it is. Whereas like when you're on the ice, you're like, you have that camaraderie and that part of the team and that's happening all the time, whether that's good or bad too. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> right. It really depends on the person, but um, yeah, it's, I find it really interesting because team sports, and the team dynamic is so incredibly important. I mean, it's what we're doing at Original Joe's. Mm-hmm. We just don't have skates on, <laughs> right? Yeah. But we really are doing this. And so I'm kind of like fascinated by that too, because I often think like the GM's kind of like a goalie or the KM could be like a goalie, right? And they're not really like in, in the trenches all the time. Um, but, you know, there are times where they have to come in and for sure save the day. Yeah, <laughs> you know, in the same kind of same kind of feeling. So I don't know. It's really interesting. I always like to make those analogies and those comparisons. And I know you like to do that too. Um, so when you went to school, what was the degree that you got again? So I did uh, an undergrad in phys ed. So it's not like an education degree where I can teach. It's it's more close to like a kinesiology degree, um, but a little more social based, um, which was cool because like you still get a lot of the science courses you get in kinesiology, like physiology and biomechanics and stuff, which is great. Um, but you also get like the social side, like why sport is important. Um, some of the history of sport, like ethics within sports, like stuff like that, which is really cool. And really, I don't know, it's really applicable to what I was doing. I want to do sports psychology with it. Right. So, um, yeah, so that was like a huge focus of mine when I was a goalie, I wasn't, um, the most, um, mentally tough uh kid out there for sure um so it was one of those things that like I had a lot of respect for and I did a lot of work in and and tried to learn as much as I could and I thought like if I can learn all this stuff um and get better because of it I'm sure you know I can contribute to some kid that has the same challenges I do mm-hmm. and, and help them with it right so um yeah so that was my that was like my end game within within university right was to do that so you left us to try it. Yeah. Well, so I worked, yeah, I worked for a holic for a year and then I got my degree and I actually got an, uh, like, um, an internship with, um, a big Cairo clinic that had a sports psychologist. So I worked with them for, uh, one semester and then they really liked me. So they hired me on. So I went down to part-time with holic and, you know, I did that for a couple of years and, um, eventually I started my master's degree. So I didn't really have time to bartend and work a job and, you know, and still get through school. Right. So, so yeah, that's when I left and I was full-time at, at the Cairo clinic, they moved away from, they're still doing their Cairo work, but they moved more into, um, like sport performance. So they had, uh, athletes in all the time. They were focusing on, honestly, it was a really cool form of training where it was a lot more, a lot less focused on like lifting weights and stuff like that. And more focused on moving properly, moving correctly so that you weren't injuring yourself. And the theory was that if you didn't injure yourself, 
you're going to continue to train better because you're never hurt, right? You know, you're just going to keep getting better and better. You don't need those days off anymore was one of the principles, right? So, yeah. 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 And, um, I know, I know this place too, and they, they did some really, really good things, uh, with Chris and his running. And so, yeah, they're doing some really, really cool things. And so what about that? Like, where did that experience like change for you and what brought you back to original Joe's? So the, when I started there, it was, when I started there, it was a super cool place. Like it was, um, to be honest with you, it reminded me a lot of like the original Joe's concept. Like it was, it was way more service-based and hospitality-based than a standard doctor's office. And like, they strove for that. Like they said, that's, what's going to set us apart. And I love that. I thought like, this is something I could connect with after working in the restaurant. And to be honest with you, I think that's why they liked me so much as I already had like the restaurant experience. So many of the, the, the receptionists and even the chiros there, like had worked in restaurants before. And you could tell, and even the GM there, she uh, worked at Boston pizzas for 15 years, I think. Before or worked she- for us. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That, yeah. There was a few, <laughs> a few of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They were um, for us while they were in school. Yeah, exactly. So it, it made it such a good fit and it was a good fit for a long time. And, um, you know, I'm not really sure what changed on the, you know, high up there, but, um, gradually the core values just seemed to change away from, you know, we are all athletes to just more focusing on the elite athletes. And, Mm. you know, if that's the the direction they wanted to go, that's okay. To me, it's, it's comparing like fine dining with like, you know, ultra um, exclusive food items and drinks and cocktails and stuff like that. Like if that's the kind of concept you want to go for that's all the power to you. I think that's super cool. And there's going to be a lot of people that are really into that but that just wasn't really the concept I was going for. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was the, the, like original Joe's, the genuine service, you know, down the street. And that's how I always thought about it before is like anybody could go there and they were treated like an elite level athlete. Right. Yeah. So yeah. when their core values started to change my, I didn't really connect with them anymore. And I kind of gradually worked my way out and, mm-hmm. and uh, away from, away from there. So, yeah. I find this interesting. And so like, we'll just move off this place, but this, this disconnect that happens as we evolve in human beings and like how even our values can shift and change. And I think for like us as leaders, helping our people identify that and be okay with that is such an important part, like of what we do in our company, because like, I mean, I'm a little biased, but I think we have a really great (laughs) place to work. Um, But like people's priorities change, like COVID as an example, right? Like how many people have changed the way they saw the world in the last, whatever, you know, year and a half and maybe serving doesn't work for them anymore, or maybe hospitality doesn't work for them right now, or, you know, like, and so I think there's like a really important piece about helping our people or ourselves recognize if that changes have you come across that? Have you experienced any of that? And have you had to deal with any of that with, with people that you lead? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's like COVID was, was definitely a, a wake up call for a few of the, I don't know, I think of them as the more veteran servers that we had where, you know, they kind of had to think, is this, is this something that I want to be committed to long-term 
And the big thing for me that I wanted to work through with them, because when we initially reopened, you know, a year ago, I think our, our entire team came back, but you could tell not everybody was super into it. I think they came back because they needed a job, they needed something, right? And and they knew that they were good at what, what they were doing here. But it was a lot of fun for me working with some of those girls um, or just team members in general that, that didn't really know what they wanted um, and figuring out why this wasn't a fit anymore. And then, you know, ultimately they'd figure out what, what value there's a change or what value didn't really connect anymore. Um, and then they could find something that made more sense for them. Right. Yeah. Cause I'm the same way. I'm a big believer. Like um, I've talked a lot about like values and especially the values that like our fa my family has and like my parents have kind of ingrained in us. Um, and as those shift and as those change, there's just so much that you have to change within your life to, to make them consistent. Otherwise, like, you know, there's going to be a lot of psychological issues that you're going to go through, I think, right? When there's that, that disconnect, right? You know, especially working somewhere 40 hours a week, spending, you know, half of, or, you know, a third of your, your waking life at somewhere that just doesn't connect with you anymore, right? Yeah. And I think like, um, it's maybe like that relationship that you just hold on to forever that, you know, it like doesn't work anymore. Right. But I think sometimes we do that like with work or like people will do that. Yeah. In their careers. And like, I guess what I want to say on the podcast today is, and I say this to Chris a lot too, but like, it's okay. Like we should be evolving throughout our lives and things should change a little bit. And if you can't make that connection any longer, then you need to figure out how to get that for yourself because you only get one life, right? Sure. And so, um, yeah. Anyway, I just think it's really interesting. So you mentioned the values that your that your family instilled, and in you want to talk a little bit about your family. You you have what I am dubbing as a high performing family. <laughs> <laughs> now I don't even know your parents, but I'm sure they're amazing people. But what are the values that your your mom and your dad instilled in you and your brother? So. I think the biggest one that, that connects with me right now is, um, obviously work ethic, um, and commitment. I think they go hand in hand. Right. Um, I can remember like countless times I'd have struggles playing hockey on a team or with a coach or with an individual on the team or something like that. And I was never allowed to quit. Mm -hmm. It was a conversation and it wasn't, I guess it wasn't like, you're not allowed to quit. It was more like you bet you better have a damn good reason why you're going to quit. And it just seemed that I never had a good enough reason to quit. So, um, you know, it, it instilled a lot of like, honestly, a lot of conversations that were super uncomfortable for me, like going up to a kid that I don't get along with on my team so that we can, I don't know, at least get by on the team without being in each other's throats or coaches that I had challenges with. That was a huge challenge for me a couple of years where coaches and I just butted heads all season and, having to like, I was like 14, having to have a conversation with like a 50 year old man and like tell him my side of the story is super intimidating. Right. So yeah. um, those are for sure, for sure the, the top two, but the one that like, you, I, I don't know, you don't realize when you're going through it, it was just like, you know, not taking life so seriously. Mm -hmm. The number of times that my mom and my dad would mostly my dad, um, I play a lot of golf with him and he just uh, chirps me incessantly on the golf course and all his buddies and his buddies always chirp me and I just kind of sit there and take it. 
but family dinners have turned into this over the last like 15 years when we were younger it was like you get mad at each other but now like I'll sit down with Tyler my brother for dinner and he makes some really like mean comments and it's really fun but it's really funny like he just makes fun of me and it's hilarious and then I make fun of him and he gets the kick out of it where this actually started was my mom's a chiropractor and growing up I, I know there's going to be chiropractors listening. So this is when I was 12 years old. So nobody get upset at me over this. But you made fun. We made fun of my mom a lot because she wasn't a real doctor. She was just a chiropractor, which sounds awful, mom. <laughs> but it was really funny. And my mom would always have like some snappy comeback about none of us ever being doctors or something like that. And then one day <laughs> my parents got some letter in the mail and it was addressed to Mr. and Dr. Saunders which was even better because my mom's not a real doctor, but yeah, she's still more of a doctor than dad. And my mom obviously wears the pants in their relationship. So that became a talking point for a long time. Um, yeah. So just, I don't know, we, there's a lot of sarcasm in our family and it definitely keeps things light when, you know, like we said, we're, we're a high performing family. There's a lot of, I think we have very high expectations for ourselves, the three of us. And, um, we would not be able to get through through those challenges if we weren't able to like laugh at our mistakes or learn from our mistakes and kind of joke around with them. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, your family, like, I want to say you guys were born golfing. Yeah. You guys are like one year old on the golf course hitting balls, but like your brother, Tyler, what would we say? He's semi pro. Would that be the best way to describe him? He's a real professional. He'd be touring now if it wasn't for COVID. He decided to turn pro a month before COVID hit. So they haven't had any like qualifying schools for him to partake in. But um, he's still a real touring professional going to tournaments, you know, mostly yeah. in Arizona and Western Canada to make a living at it. So, you know, and that's been his focus for, I don't know, he was an elite, elite level golfer when he was 14. I remember him crushing me in provincials when he was 14 and I was 18 and it was so embarrassing but he was that good he was that good when he was 14 so that's really cool and you even qualified for a tournament recently I mean you guys yeah I I think anybody listening who is an athlete or knows what it what it means to achieve something at a high level gets it <laughs> yeah but why do you why golf I want to ask like why why was golf the sport of choice so we, like you said, we, we were born golfing. Like my dad tells a great story about me. I'd have been eight months old and I couldn't walk yet. So he would put me on the putting green while he practiced his putting. And I would slowly crawl over to this lake beside the putting green. And it took me about 10 minutes to get there. He said, and then he would see me almost in the lake and he would pick me up and bring me back. And then I'd crawl over. So I think he got tired of like me interrupting his practice sessions so he gave me his own, like he gave me my own putter. So I was like eight months old, like on the putting green, trying to hit the ball into the hole. Oh my God. Like, you That's know, and Tyler, amazing. Tyler would hit golf balls across the street in the little park when he was a year and a half. Like, you know, he just started walking and he was already hitting golf balls. And my dad found out once we were out there hitting golf balls without him, which was against her, which was not allowed because Tyler hit a golf ball through someone's windshield. <laughs> um, and <laughs> dad had to find out that way so that was not <laughs> that wasn't good either 
Oh man. Yeah. That's so crazy. Was that your dad's upbringing? Like was, well, was he, that your karma? He started playing when he was like, I think 10 or 11, which, you know, like 50 years ago was probably not uncommon, but it was a lot later to start compared to how we started, but he played a lot and he liked it. He tells a story. I'm going to get this wrong, but I think he went out to Victoria one summer and there to visit family. And there just wasn't that much for him to do out there. He was like 13 or 14. And so he picked up golf and did that for the summer. And he wasn't, you know, he always tells the story. He wasn't very good. And he just hit golf balls all summer and he ended up being good. Right. So he, to be honest with you, I think he got the rest of the family, even like his parents involved. He played in provincials when he was 16, which was like a, you know, a pretty big deal. It was at our home course that uh, dad was a member at then. And um, it got my grandma and my grandpa involved in the game a little bit more. And, you know, there's the, the, the beauty of golf to me is that you can play it for so many different reasons and with so many different walks of life, you know, there's girls at the store that don't get why I play golf. And then I describe to them, like, I can go with my dad and we take, I wouldn't say we take golf like super seriously, but we want to improve yeah, and get better and be as good as we can. But then I can go with my buddies on a weekend and the goal is to drink as many beers as you possibly can <laughs> on the course. Um, and they have a thing called, my friends have this thing called birdie juice. So if you get a birdie, um, you get like a shot of whiskey or whatever hard like her oh you're God. smuggling in a golf bag. Um, so they like playing with me because I'm pretty good and I make a few birdies. So it's just more opportunity for them to get some. Get you blasted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then you can play with so many different ages. Like, you know, my dad's 66 and I still golf with him twice a week. Yeah. My mom's 64. Um, I still play with her once every two weeks or so. My grandma is 92 now. Um, she stopped golfing when she was about 85, but I still play with her every week from when she was about 75 to 85. Um, she was, she's, she would never take a cart. She was 85 walking the golf course, like pulling her clubs behind her, um, walking 10 K three times a week. It was incredible. Right? That is incredible. And you and know what? those minutes with your grandma you're never going to forget them right absolutely we every year the club has this parent child tournament so there was three boy. we had three you know i had two brothers there's three of us but obviously there's just mom and dad so the third one would play with with my grandma and i remember one year they put our clubs on a cart and i looked at my grandma i said do you want to take a cart and she was really quiet because i knew she didn't want to take a cart but i knew she wasn't she wasn't that kind of person that was going to like make waves or something like that. I'm like, well, we're not taking a cart. So I took her clubs off the cart and we walked every, literally everybody else in the field rode their carts, except for my grandma and I. And we ended up like coming in 30 minutes after everybody. Cause it was a shotgun. So of course we started on like the farthest hole. We have to walk all the way out. And then when we're done, walk all the way back. Right. Yeah. Our claim to fame that year was we were the best walkers. We won the walking <laughs> that year. So. Do you want a TV for that or. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no trophy. I don't think anyone's ever walked that tournament since. So. <laughs> that's really cool. That's cool. I think that's awesome. And I think that's so cool that you have such a good family, you know, relationship and upbringing. And I don't know, I've just, as I've gotten to know you over the years, I've been really like intrigued by it because I think it's so cool that you guys are all still so tight and yeah, spend this time together. And I just, 
I mean, like I said, I don't know your parents, but I have a lot of respect from them for them, knowing yeah. you and Tyler. And I just think like, this is, this is pretty cool. This is pretty cool. And this is the stuff like, you know, when people have kids that they really hope that they can have this. Right. So yeah, I think that that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I've, I've been really lucky and you know, I'm not, it's funny looking back on all the things they did. I've told you a lot of stories, the lessons that they've taught me and, um, they, I don't know if they had a plan when they had kids or they knew what they were doing, or if they just felt like ass backwards into like, into this, but every, everything that they did, there was some kind of lesson to it that I don't realize until 10 years later, but <laughs> there's a lot that I learned that, uh, you know, I'm very, I'm very lucky that they did it the way that they did. So that's great. Cool. Okay. I was going to shift it, but before I do that, I'm going to ask you one more question. What was the biggest lesson you learned from your parents? Hey, this is my favorite story about my dad. So I was 11 and I needed new goalie pads. So we went to United Cycle. I think he had a cousin that worked at United Cycle. So we get to United Cycle. And as soon as we walk in into the big goalie loft there, there's this set of goalie pads that is like exactly right. They're the right colors for the team I play on. They're the right size. They're top of the line. These like beautiful, beautiful pads. I think we still have them actually. <laughs> because there's a, still a story behind them. So I look at them and they're $1,100. I'm 11 years old. So I look at my dad and my dad looks at me and I said, these are perfect. And he said, they are. How are you going to pay for them though? And I'm 11 and my eyes get big. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have a job. Like <laughs> this isn't, this wasn't part of the deal. So I had to go home and I had to come up with a plan on how I was going to pay back for the, <laughs> pay for the goalie pads he would front me the money and then I had to pay him back and I had to write out this whole plan for him. So even now you and, and Krista, Krista always got a kick out of me keeping track of every dollar I ever got tipped for <laughs> seven years now and knowing exactly where that money was going to go to before I even got it. And that's where I learned it. So, you know, I'm, it's fun actually now working with a lot of the, the girls on the team that maybe aren't great with money or didn't have that experience growing up and teaching them like how to budget and you know how to not run up a bunch of credit card debt and stuff like that so um but yeah that's probably my favorite story that's really cool it could totally get away with you too if you're not careful you know like you started this off saying you didn't have enough money for a car most of us will just go in and finance it at 46 <laughs> percent yeah right that never ends well for anybody no exactly <laughs> And then there's the, I'm going to rant now, but then there's the whole lease thing, buyback thing where they're like, oh, we can get you in a brand new car with your old car and trade you in, but you now are paying for two cars and the payment's the same. It's just over 75 years. And yeah, yeah it's a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> never again. I will never do it again. Anyhow, we won't tell the dealerships that because I think that's how they make money. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to swing a little bit to leadership and you and like you in this role so I was just curious what is your if you were to describe Mike as a leader what would you say like your philosophy is or your motto or like how do you lead what can somebody expect from you when they work with you I think like if I were just to describe my leadership style the the biggest focus for me is to just help the team figure out what's important to them. And like, we already talked a little bit about values, but it's not just values within the company, but like using the, the, the budgeting that we just talked about as an example, a lot of the girls 
have to make decisions on how they want to spend their money. And it is a rush for me, honestly, like helping them figure out what is most important in their life. Like, do they want to buy a house or do they want a new car and having to figure out like work with them on figuring out how they get one or the other or how they're going to do both if they can manage that. Right. Um, so just, just helping people get to where, figure out what they want and then have a plan on how to get there. I'm a big planner. I know you know that. Mm -hmm. um, I've been a planner for my whole life and helping people find these plans and like create uh, a path to get to their goals is just, yeah, it's the coolest thing for me. And honestly, that's a big reason I like sports psychology was that's all it was, was just like, how are you going to get to where you want to go? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I find a lot of times. And so I, I lay, lay, lean more on the, I guess, psychology side, right? <laughs> like I like to help people unlock the doors by asking them questions that help them see around their corners. And a lot of times those are the things that are holding people back too. Cause like in my younger years, I was just like, I'll never own a house. <laughs> Right. And if you think that you won't. Right. And so it's kind of like twofold. So I think it's really cool that you have this like dual sided nature to you because you can see like the technical, but then you can also kind of see the psychological aspects that might be getting in the way for somebody. I think when it comes to something like, um, like the budgeting and the finance stuff, it's crazy. Like, I mean, you know, this, but we just, we've been doing these wellness days. Right. And so we had a, uh, a lady in from TD and she was talking about just, I think it was just finance 101. And I, you and I were both on there and I was like, oh, like, like, I'm just going to sit in and listen, but didn't think I was going to get anything from it. And she gave us this tip about insurance and I saved $3,000. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, my mind was blown. Like, I was like, oh no, I've like figured everything out. Like, it's just absolutely crazy that if we can search to the edges, you know, of our vision and look around what we can actually find available to us in our lives. Like anybody can own a house, anybody can own a car. If you know how to work with your money, you can, you can have anything you want. Yeah, in your absolutely. Life. Yeah. I think that's so cool. And so you can take that philosophy and you can do that with any, any of your team in any way. Right. Which is like really neat. Absolutely. I think about the budgeting like with dollars, but I also think about the budgeting with time, right? And recognizing that, you know, I'm working with one of the girls right now. She's, you know, she's good with her money, but she wants more out of life. And she's having a hard time recognizing sometimes that she can't, she can't do everything. And it's easy for us to say that, but when she actually like adds up the time that she spends in a week doing the things she wants to do, she doesn't have time for everything that she wants and having to make those decisions sometimes is really challenging. But again, that's a great part of my, my job is working with these individuals and finding ways to either get as much out of their life as they can or pick what's really, really most important for them. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I love it. So where do you see yourself in the next five years? What do you, how do you want to grow? What do you want to do for yourself? Oh, I <laughs> loaded <have done> question. <laughs> so, there's there's a there's an old movie. It's about this golfer named Bobby Jones, and he was like one of the best golfers of all time back in the 1920s. 
in the 19 in 1930 and then he just quit golf all of a sudden like in his prime he was 26 and just 26 or 28 and just that was it he'd done everything but everything that he did in the movie anyway the way that it came across is everything that he did he did for somebody else he went to university for his mom he played golf for his dad he did all of this stuff right and I remember watching that movie and I didn't really relate to it until like a year or two ago where so many of the decisions I made, like a lot of them are things I want to do, but there was always like, this is, this is going to make someone else happy. This is going to be, you know, something for that will, will contribute to somebody else's life. So making decisions the last year and a half um, has been for myself has been a priority and it's been really hard. But COVID, you said this earlier, but COVID really kind of woke me up to that, that I have to make decisions um, that are in my best interest as well. There's no reason they can't be in lots of people's best interest. Um, but there's a couple of girls on the team. This is where it gets really cool, like leading these girls, because now they start calling me on the stuff that I'm working, working on with them, where they start calling me on stuff. I'm not living up to you know what i'm trying to get out of life and they will tell me that i don't they don't think this is i'm not going the right direction and i'm like i don't know who made <laughs> what made you think you could say that to me but <laughs> well they can because you say it to them <laughs> absolutely and it's great because honestly it's a wake-up call where you know you get you get you know you get ingrained in your habits and stuff like that and it's hard to break out of them until you have these big wake-up calls but even then it's hard to stay motivated um all the time, but having that, um, that check-in from people that you care about and that care about you goes a long way to keep you a, a little more dedicated, I think, and a little more disciplined, um, even if you don't have that motivation anymore. So I just totally went all the way around your question, didn't answer it though. Um, so I'm gonna answer the question. I was gonna pull you back in there, but that's okay, you're there. <laughs> a big focus of mine for the last year is finding ways to free up we I talked about like budgeting time and I don't have time in my life right now to do everything that I want to um, I went and played in a golf tournament two weeks ago I went on a golf trip with my friends um, I've done a lot of cool things the last I don't know two weeks and that's really the first time I've done stuff like that in almost 10 years um, so from a from a career standpoint that's a big focus of mine is continue I really like what I'm doing right now I really like working in the store but continue to shift maybe as uh, out of the store as much as I can and helping the team handle the store kind of on their own right um, that's been a, a goal of mine with the team over the last six months is trying to create a schedule where I'm not I'm not necessary anymore that is like my ultimate goal as a um, as a manager here is to not, is to not be needed. That's like, that's like the dream, I think. Right. So. I think that's when you got it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's when you got it. Like that's when you got the gold, when you're not needed, then yeah. you have, you have trained everybody so well that it's not that you don't show up and it's not that you're not there yeah. for them, but like they got it, you know, it's that's something to be really proud of. For sure. And it's going to be a great, like it's, I'm already seeing the shift now, but I know my, my day-to-day -day shifts away from managing the restaurant and shifts towards managing the people, which I think everyone within our group would agree that that is way more rewarding and fulfilling. Um, I would much rather 
help somebody with their budget or figure out a, a plan on how to get rid of their credit card debt and find these career goal or these these life goals and alternate career paths or whatever they want to want to work towards rather than like doing a liquor order or I don't know figuring out figuring out how we're going to keep labor that week right like you know it's just not it's it's just not the same no and I'm sitting here listening to you and I bet I'm like I bet other people listening in hospitality that work for different companies are like what the hell are these talking about <laughs> and like this is like literally what we do right we train the other stuff and we just take care of people and I think it's I just feel like we're so lucky to have the situation we do because we all get to kind of live our purpose right and live meaningfully and work work meaningfully and so yeah I think that's super cool yeah absolutely um, every time I do one of these podcasts, I do a lightning round. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> Did you forget about it? No, I was, uh, I remembered some of the questions from the last few podcasts I had listened to. So I have mentally rehearsed some answers. So you have, okay. Okay. Quick <laughs> okay. So my first question for you is what is the worst place you've ever been hit by a puck when goaltending? Oh man. Well, or like worse and injury. <laughs> There's only one answer to that. Um, I remember years ago, uh, I got a shot right uh, between the legs in warm-up from my own team, and I almost puked. Oh, it yeah. Was so bad. It was the most, like, I've gotten shots there before, but whatever reason, in warm-up from my own team, it just hurt a little bit more. So I'm there, like, I crumpled to the ice in warm-up, and this is men's league, too. Like, we're like, this isn't serious hockey. <laughs> So I crumpled to the ice and I thought I was going to puke and I like skate off to the bench. And this was like the third or fourth shot of warm up. So I still have to play. There's no other goalie and I have to get a warm up in. So I like take five minutes, compose myself. I go back in the net and I swear I couldn't make this up. Five shots later, the same guy hits me in the exact same spot. Oh my God. And did you actually throw it? Sorry. Did you actually throw it? I think I was just, I was so in shock, like not like body shock, but just like, almost in wonder like how could this happen again like how could this happen twice within five minutes this is almost incredible and the guy actually didn't shoot a puck on me the rest of the year on warm-up he felt so bad after that he would come around he'd stand by the bench when I was in the net and then when I would like leave the net to go skate or whatever then he'd shoot his warm-up shots because he just he didn't trust himself anymore after that that's incredible that's amazing yeah I don't know I don't, those pucks are so hard. I would literally be like crying on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll move on. <laughs> Question number two, what is the craziest thing you've ever done in your life? Oh, <laughs> um, I moved to, I moved to Phoenix when I was 18 by myself. That was probably, I don't know. That's probably the craziest thing I did. It didn't seem so crazy at the time, but I didn't last very long down there, but it was pretty crazy because I knew nobody down there. Yeah. Uh, I had to make, I'm not, um, I'm a pretty quiet guy. I'm not super outgoing. So to go down there and like have to make a whole new set of friends with like, with no help was super intimidating. Um, my best friend down there was, uh, all my best friends down there were from Yuma, which is a border city and San Luis, which is a border city right on the border of Mexico. My best friend down there did not speak English. <laughs> we just played video games and I don't know, he knew like four words English and I knew a little bit of Spanish and we just had a lot of fun doing projects. Like he was in the same course I, course as I was. So we just had a lot of fun doing projects and like 
hanging out and stuff like that. He also really liked that I was from Canada. I don't know why, but he like just he even sometimes now he asks me like how he'll just send me a message out of the, out of the blue like how cold is it in Canada today? Like you're like it's cold, really freaking cold, like <laughs> so cold you could not experience this. You've never experienced this kind of cold. Ever. Oh man, I've had my dance with Yuma too. Oh yeah. Chris ran a marathon there once it was a we stayed in a motel that had a guy riding a horse on the wall it was something else (laughs) I was like this is interesting but the marathon was super cool it was like uh like a military marathon and so yeah anyway it was just like super fun really community like small marathon but like we had our we actually had a really good time there just I think somebody died in the hotel room but anyway that's a story for another day (laughs) My last question for you is if you could live anywhere in the world, which is funny that you brought up the Phoenix thing, where would you live? Where would you move to? Oh, I've always said if I could like live, live anywhere, it'd probably be Australia. I've never been to Australia, but um, it seems like it's got like everything that I would like in a, in a place to live. It's not it wouldn't be a huge culture shock. I don't think maybe it would be, but I don't think it would be like, it wouldn't be like living in Mexico or, or something like that, where it'd be a little bit bigger. Um, this sounds like for a guy from like, from Edmonton that I told you a million times, that I don't like going fast. Like I play golf and I'm a goalie. Like yeah. I don't <laughs> like going fast. Um, I really liked surfing. I went surfing once in Mexico and it was the most fun I've ever had. And like I've said this before, that if I could like go back 10 years and do the, the Australia, like working vacation thing, when I was younger, I would totally do that. I would just get like some farm job or something like that in Australia and surf like every single day. That would be the, that would be the dream. Cool. The guy that surfed one time in his life. I just, I don't know. It's still, I just, every year I think like maybe this is the year I get back to the ocean and try it again. And (laughs) something else always comes up, but always good. You know what, Chris and I have gone to Hawaii for like, I don't know, 10, 12 years in a row, barring last year, obviously, because of COVID. And so, A, I've never surfed. <laughs> and B, I never went on a paddleboard until the last time I was there. And so we're out on this paddleboard. And I'm like, literally screaming, like, this is the best thing I've ever done. Yeah. And I'm like, how much time have I wasted not doing this? <laughs> but yeah, it was incredible. It's like so peaceful and I'm sure the surfing is amazing. I have friends that love surfing too. So yeah, yeah that's super cool. And Australia is awesome. It's like a warm Canada, but with giant bugs that will kill you forewarn you about that. See <laughs> bugs don't, that's what every person that I say that to says the same thing about the bugs and the spiders and stuff and just animals in general. I'm like that doesn't really phase me. Like, Oh, it, it does once you're there. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Oh man. I, when we were there, it was June bug season. You know what a June bug is? No, no but I'm going to be creeped out now. It's a beetle. That's like, I don't know. What could I compare? We did know to? that actually. Yeah. It's like the size of a computer mouse. <laughs> anyway, they just fly around and they're like blind and like hit you. And like, yeah, anyway, it's something else. <laughs> Anyway, it's beautiful. I freaking love Australia and I'm with you. I would go live there too. Cause I feel like it's like Canada, you know, yeah. like you get everything you get in Canada, but you get beautiful weather, ocean, right. 
desert, you know, ocean living, all different like cities, countryside. It's beautiful. So yeah, yeah, yeah you're on a good path. <laughs> Maybe one day we'll meet there. Right um, this has been awesome. This has been a super fun conversation. Yeah. Um, in closing, is there some like thoughts from Mike that you'd like to leave with the listeners? Oh, <laughs> maybe a little loaded question again. <laughs> <laughs> I think I kind of talked about it in the last, you know, before the lightning round there, but just like, I don't know, you can think about life in whatever, I don't know, however you want to keep score. My mom's always said this where like, you know, money is just a way of keeping score. But I think the ultimate score is just time and the minutes that you use effectively. Right. And we talked about this within our, our group our, uh, all the time, but you know, use, I don't know, use the minutes that you have effectively and you want to look back, not just at the end of your life, but every year, every month, every week and think like, how effective were my minutes used this week, right? There's been weeks where I look back and I accomplished nothing. And that was the best decision for me that week because I needed it. But um, especially with COVID hitting and realizing that, um, I don't know, a year of your life can go away so quickly. And I don't know, you just, it's not that you have nothing to show for it, but just nothing that you would have wanted in 2020 would have happened. I don't think anybody could say like 2020 was exact, exactly how I wanted my life to pan out that year. Mm -hmm. And um, again, I'm not, you're going to make fun of me for this. I'm not old. I'm 29, but 30 is really coming up fast for me right now. And thinking like I lost entire, you know, essentially a year of my life where I didn't get to do everything that I wanted to do that year. Um, I'm not going to let that happen again. So I think that's the, that would be the message is, you know, take advantage of those, those minutes. Right. Love it. I love it. And I also think, um, COVID took us off guard. Right. And so we kind of like, let that do that to us. I let it do it to me too. But I think you also said this earlier, but we can decide too. Yeah. So I think that that's cool, right? Like if this all happens again, we can also decide how we're going to respond to that and we can still, you know, Get, yeah, do things for ourselves and, and make sure we enjoy the minutes. So I think that's amazing. I love that. Well, thank you so much for being my guest. That was awesome. That was super yeah. fun. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. I've, I was really excited to do this. This is, <laughs> this is great. Yeah. Well, that's a wrap everyone. Another week of discovering hospitality and one more amazing guest on to share their beautiful stories. Thank you so much to all of you, our listeners, for your continued support. The success of this podcast is totally because of all of you, and to that I owe my deepest gratitude. Now, if you enjoyed today's episode, share it with a friend. And as always, don't forget to rate, leave a review, and subscribe to this podcast. I love hearing your feedback. And remember... The world is always made more beautiful by people like you. Don't ever forget it. Until next week, take care everyone, and we'll see you then.